We as a congregation of believers who are scattered abroad in our individual homes are thankful for this technology. It works most of the time. But we cannot be reminded too often of the importance of the church. Out of sight, out of mind, they say. We need to keep front and center the corporate body of believers. And that's what the scripture lesson is focusing on today, the church. It's described elsewhere as the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. Here the picture is more structural than organic. The picture is of a great house established on a solid foundation. But this text also has family overtones, as we shall see, for it is a church that's founded by God's word and spirit, producing offspring. The family is another picture of the church, according to the Westminster Confession. And it's good to know at a time of pandemic and dislocation that we have both a solid, immovable home for ourselves, a structure, the house of God, which shall never be disrupted on a firm foundation. But we also have a relational family, which is committed to one another, good, another's good and welfare, and with whom we can converse and together worship the living God. The introduction being finished now, I move to the outline, which is verse 19, created as God's family on God's foundation. Verse 20 through 23, set apart for service in God's house. And verses 24 to 26, how pastors and leaders should serve. Verses 24 to 26. So the first point, verse 19, created is God's family on God's foundation. Moving on from the context of chapter 2, 17 and 18, where Hymenaeus and Philetus, two condemned heretics, were spreading a disruptive, disorienting heresy, denying the physical resurrection of believers at the last day, instead saying it was spiritual and it happened already. In that context, Paul says, nevertheless, Notwithstanding that heresy, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. Christ's church shall prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. You don't need to fear in the face of heretics. The foundation of God's good and gracious purpose to establish believers in his family will win out. We are created as God's family on a solid foundation. And that foundation is Christ, as we read in Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, he's the cornerstone, but picture going out in your head, uh, a cornerstone at the bottom, and going out all the way around is this foundation. It's made up of the apostles and the prophets, and it's not so much the people, it's the message they gave. In the New Testament, the apostles wrote inscripturated word of God, and it was gathered in the New Testament. And already by the time of Paul, the prophets had written the word of God, and it's on that foundation of Christ, the person, and also the foundation of God's written word that we cling. The Lord is 
putting his seal onto this. A seal on a letter represents the fact that an owner of a letter had actually put a signet ring down on hot wax. So when you have that letter in your hand, it's almost as like that person's in the room. A little bit of the imprint of his unique signet ring is in your hand. And then you open up and you can be sure the message comes right from him. That's the word of God. It is the signet ring. And this message out of the word, two things are highlighted. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, the Lord knows those who are here, his, identifies that even in the face of heretics, hey, God knows you. God knows you, and he is hanging on to you, and he's going to protect you. Just remember that next time you face a despairing moment in this COVID-19 pandemic. He knows you. He's caring for you, and he's going to protect you physically and also spiritually protect you from people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, protect you and give you a home in heaven if you should die. He's going to protect you, taking you all the way to himself if you succumb to this disease. But you may be sure he protects you. But also know this, the Lord knows those who are his. That word knowing is the most intimate kind of knowing that you can have. It's, it's compared in an earthly sense, the knowing of a husband with his wife, which brings forth children. And that knowing is even mentioned in Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. You see, knowing brings forth a family. In Romans 8.29, for, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The knowing precedes the predestinating. It's not like he knew and he looked down through history and he saw that somebody uh, was going to believe and therefore he chose him. It's the other way around. He knew us in love before the foundation of the world. He chose us out of the beneficence of his heart of grace and love. And then he set us apart to receive salvation. He predestinated us. He gave us what we needed in order to be saved. Can you hear me? Could somebody turn on their mic? Put a thumbs up. Put I can hear up. you. Okay, yes. you can? All right. I will continue. My screen just canceled. Here we go. And we, he knows us in advance and he predestinates us. And there's something beautiful that happens uh, of a family. When a husband and a wife are married, there's something beautiful that happens when, when Jesus comes and changes our life and we become part of his family. In the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 21, what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It's a deep-rooted assurance created in me. Faith is created in me by God. It's created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ. Not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Indeed, as we consider this, we consider the fact that it is 
the work of Christ's spirit and word, holding those together, working together, that we are brought to the point that we can name the name of Christ. To name the name of Christ is to believe in him. It is to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. In verse 13 of Romans 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. <coughs> yes, in Isaiah 26, it says, O Lord, our God, masters besides you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. It is by the power of God that we come to God. It is by you only that we make mention of you and that therefore we are saved and we're no longer under these other masters, the mastery of the devil who is mentioned in verse 26, the snare of the devil who would capture us. But because God works in our heart, we call out to him and we believe on him and he delivers us from the devil and gives us salvation. But that's not the end of the work. It is also a work in which the Spirit and Word calls us into a family, that solid foundation underneath the great house. It is the family of God. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, by His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. You see, that spirit and word which saved us is also the spirit and word which incorporates us in his church. It gathers us, protects us, and preserves us. The salvation leads to gathering by the same spirit and word. Love and marriage, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Saved and gathered, saved and gathered, they go together like love and marriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. You see, if God loves you, he's going to gather you into his church. And he is going to make you with the other believers the bride of Christ, his beloved object of his love. And so it means that we're calling you to belong. And we're so glad you've been attending these services. We're also calling you to consider taking that next step. Two ladies of our church are going to be taking a class on Zoom to study membership in our discovery class. And we welcome others to join them. In this time, you could join this class by Zoom. Just contact me after the service today or call me up on the phone and we'll get you in on that. And this salvation also means, if you take a look in verse 19, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It means leave behind your other lovers. Leave them behind. They don't have anything for you. Leave behind your past loves. And the, you, you do need to depart from that iniquity. He is not going to have other lovers in his family. And so I call you 
to walk away from sin, to depart from iniquity. As it says in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what does God require of us? That we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby God communicates to us the benefits of redemption. That's the word. That's the sacraments. And that's the prayer and the fellowship of his church. Departing from iniquity is to leave behind those masters, the ones I was talking about from Isaiah 26, 13. Those are the masters in Egypt that had Israel in slavery. You don't need them. You have a new master and discipleship. To tie it in with our theme for the spring, discipleship is deciding to follow your master, King Jesus, rather than the masters who keep you under their thumb, under the snare of the devil, captive to do wickedness. Whom will you follow this spring? And whom will you call your master? Secondly, verses 20 through 23, we are set apart for service in God's house. And what sits on that firm foundation is none other than Christ's church. In 1 Timothy 3.15, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Yes, the church buttresses the truth. The church is not the truth itself. The truth is found in the written word of God, which is our final authority for faith and practice. The truth is Jesus. That is the foundation. But the church is a buttress coming alongside to point us to Jesus, to point us to the word, to proclaim God's word, and to help us to learn to love God and to learn to love one another. And in verse 20, he says, well, you know, you got those good dishes, and you got the everyday dishes, vessels of gold and silver, and then everyday dishes. Lois never ceases to amaze how I can find dishes on garage sales. But we have a whole cabinet full of garage sale dishes, which are everyday dishes. If they break, who cares? And then we got the formal dishes. And what Paul is saying here is, why don't you try to have in your life that opportunity of being a vessel of honor. Now, very carefully distinguish this from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says basically that, you know, there's many gifts in different members of the church, and we cannot despise certain gifts from certain people. And 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 21, we need to remember, we can't say, the hand cannot say, I have no need, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Because everyone's gift is to be valued, as it says in verse 7. But to the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. To each one gets a gift for the profit of all. So we're not talking about comparing people here, comparing Christians, comparing preachers. We're saying within your own life, are you going to develop so that you become an honorable vessel or will you remain a dishonorable vessel? But how do you become honorable? Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and 
useful for the master. I just want to say to you, it's not too late. You're hearing the word of God today. This is Jesus talking to you. He's talking to you right from the Bible. And I'm saying to you, you may feel I messed up my life. I haven't done what I should have done. I haven't been as honorable as I should. And I'm giving you hope today that as you follow and heed this word, as you hear it in the rest of the sermon, God has something for you honorable to do. It's not too late. How does the change happen? Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the master in verse 21? Are you going to hang out with believers? End of verse 22, those who call on the Lord with a pure heart? Will your associations lead to your sanctification? Because if you associate with believers who sincerely are calling out to God, and if you associate and want to follow after the master, King Jesus, that is the essence of becoming an honorable vessel. And it includes these specifics. Timothy was a young man. He had youthful lusts. But Paul is addressing them. He says, flee those youthful lusts and run away from them. Commentators talk about two. Commentators talk about the arrogance of a young man who is a preacher, that he's vain, that he wants popular applause, that he wants to be contentious with others. And the commentators also mention the sexual temptation which comes to younger men and women. And he's saying, don't go there. Run away from it. Flee from it. Run when temptation comes. Don't wait around to see how things work out. Get out of the room. Get out of the bar. Get out of the restaurant. Get out of the dormitory room. Run from temptation. Why? Because sexual temptations are called dissipations often in the old language. They tend to weaken, enervate, distract us from the service of God. Whereas sex in the context of marriage tends toward building up, comforting, and securing us in the love of our spouse and the love of God to us through our spouse. So flee from sin by seeking the good. Seek the righteousness, probably better translated here, justice, because we are already accounted righteous by faith in Christ. But now we're seeking to live that out. How do we live justly as a righteous person, accounted righteous by God? How do we have a faith? How can we seek faith? The man who has had the child who was possessed by demons said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You need to believe more. Pursue love that as God has loved you so much that you are going to share that love with others, that we will be embodying acts of compassion in our everyday life. Think about that today. How can you love a neighbor? I heard from a Presbyterian pastor, Steve Supernet, yesterday, who leads a ministry called Freshwater Friends. You might want to look it up. Freshwater Friends. It's run by a PCA pastor in our presbytery, and they drill wells in India, and they are mostly drilled for churches. And so those churches become places where people come for water, but while they're at it, they come and they get the living water. 
they get the gospel as Hindus around are gathering around the well. And so come and, and show your love somehow in your own neighborhood and be an embodiment of the love that God has given you. And also peace. Seek peace. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Timothy is resisting the temptation to join in an argument with false teachers. And he says it's better to spend time on the nurture of godliness than wordy disputation. So here today, as you're talking about sincere calling on the Lord out of a pure heart, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not heard if, if you don't have perfection. It does mean that you know one thing is your priority. That's Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to worship the Father who he reveals. I want to know the Holy Spirit who's going to fill me that showed me this Jesus. And I want to follow Christ with a band of brothers and sisters, those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That is discipleship. And the final point, how pastors should serve with elders. And it says here in verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. How many times did my wife read that verse to me in Iowa? Many times over. It was the most quoted verse to me by my dear wife. She discipled me. I believe that husbands need discipleship from their wives. And I believe wives need discipleship for, from their husbands. As the word of God is brought to one another in a spirit of humility, we are shaped after Christ. And this humility is not only in regard to heretics, which is the context here, you know, verse 25, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. It, it is needed there because we want to save the soul and not just win the argument, okay? If you're dealing with an unbeliever, we need to not just win the battle of of that particular argument. We want the soul saved. But this humility extends to all the interactions of a pastor and the elders, that we should be submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we would be humble in our conversations about prudence and wisdom and direction. And so no matter what area we're operating in, whether we're trying to recall a lost sinner or we're dealing with brother elders or members of the church, we should be not quarreling, gentle, and able to teach. These are universally befitting of a servant of Christ. And so let us, in conclusion, realize how important it is to escape the snare of the devil. We don't want to... Uh, be under the mastery of the devil. We want as disciples of Jesus to follow the master who's mentioned there in verse 21. We want to be part of a family that has a firm foundation upon Christ and the word of God. We want to be a family that's relating to one another, encouraging one another, as it says there in verse 22, that we're fleeing lust, pursuing righteousness, with those who call on the Lord. So reach out to people. We need to be calling one another. We need to be interacting with one another. Pick up your phone. Pick it up. 
when somebody's calling you, answer it. Don't hide in this pandemic. And when you are not getting called, you call somebody else. Be aware that we are meant to encourage one another in the faith. And so this Savior who has known us and has loved us and predestinated us, his spirit and his word works in us so that we name the name and are saved. And we are gathered by that same spirit and word to be part of one holy universal church. And it is in this church that pastors and elders, like Timothy in particular, and Christians in general, are called to become honorable vessels, cleansed, set apart, and useful for the Master, the Lord Jesus, prepared for every good work. May you be blessed as you are part of God's faithful family on a firm foundation. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this word. We pray that we will live into following you, Jesus. Have you as our master. And as we follow you, always attend to the church that we have been gathered into by the same word and spirit that saved us. We are not alone. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the building of God on the firm foundation. And we are secure in your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.